0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 9th of April 2017, entitled, Making Our Church a Great Church, Part 5. The Bible reading is taken from Acts, Chapter 4, Verses 32 and 33. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Opening your Bibles for the Scripture reading. Say a little extra special prayer for uh, this wireless mic, because... uh, It's hard to say the devil's been getting into it, but I'm not real sure if it's the devil, but there's some kind of interference around here that uh, in uh, recent weeks has been uh, interfering and giving us crackling that we can't seem to get rid of. But uh, hopefully we'll try to put up with it if it's not too bad because not only here this morning, but of course the sermons all go out around the world on the internet, and uh, we want to be able to uh, get as good a recording for that as possible We're continuing in our study on Sunday mornings. And uh, as we look again into the book of Acts uh, chapter 4, we're thinking about a simple thought of making our church a great church. Making our church a great church. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Father, we thank you again this morning for this time that we have. Now, Lord, we are totally and completely dependent upon you Please, Lord, use thy unworthy servant to speak to each and every heart here this morning, not by the voice of man, but by your voice, through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I would remind you this morning, it's interesting in listening to people's conversations a lot of times about why people consider a church to be great. Many people consider it to be a great church because that They have thousands of people attending. It's a great church because look at how many people they've got. Many people think that it's a great church because they have these phenomenal, fantastic buildings that cost more to build than some towns probably. Wow, what a great church that is. Some people think churches are great just because of the many programs and plans. They have so many things going on Folks, we want to minister. A church is about ministry. It's about serving others. But it's not about outdoing the church down the street because we can have more classes or more programs or more things going on than they do. It's about ministering to the people that God has placed in this place. Now, as we look around here at Bethel, we certainly don't have the buildings that a lot of them do, but we thank God that we've got a place to meet, and it belongs to Him. We don't have as many people as some of those bigger churches. We may not have a lot of the same programs and everything, and we could go right down the list, but I believe with all of my heart, we don't have to be just another church. There is nothing ordinary about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of ordinariness about men's churches, the things that people do in the name of a church. But I believe that as we find here, the very first church in the book of Acts, and as we've been leading up to this next Sunday, we've been both in Sunday mornings and Sunday nights looking at some things because, folks, here was a church that was a great church, and the Bible says, with great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. We've been looking at what will make us a great church, regardless of whether the world ever sees us as a great church or not, regardless of whether the world ever knows who we are, that we even exist. May we we'll be a great church in the eyes of God, to no man's credit, but to his credit alone. And in looking at that, As we approach next week, there is nothing, nothing that is more important than with great power being able to give witness to a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and that great grace be upon everyone that's present. For only by His grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. We have nothing to brag about today. What are some of the things that made this church great that will make us great today in God's eyes? And we look first of all that in order to be a great church, we've got to have a great purpose. We've got to have a great purpose. And that means getting beyond what I want, what you want. Getting beyond the purposes that we may think would be good for our church. Because we said that there were three things that we looked at and certainly that doesn't mean that it's everything. But you see, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines, in their teachings, and in fellowship, and in breaking bread, and in prayers, And we looked at those so many verses. You see, they had a great purpose because their purpose was not their own. Their purpose was God's. And we see that because the only way that you can have great purpose is to be operating in obedience to the Savior. Obedience to the Savior. Not what we think. Not what's right for our times. Yes, cultures are different. Thank God that we look around our church and... We can praise God that people come from different cultures and different nations and all kinds of different backgrounds, but there's one God and there's one Word of God and it's Him that we've got to be obedient to. We don't need to have a church like an American church or like a British church or like an Indian church or like any other church. God's church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ that He built, that He's still building, that can only come When we operate in obedience to the Savior. When we operate in the Spirit. Obedience to the Savior, operating in the Spirit. They were not operating in their own power. They were operating in the Holy Ghost. They had to wait for that to come. Because when Jesus left, He promised to send another, that paraclete, to come alongside. They did. And that's what the day of Pentecost was all about. There'll never be another day of Pentecost. There was one when the Spirit came. The Bible says today that if you don't have Him, you don't belong to God. You see, if you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells within you. Now, there's a great need to be filled with that Spirit, to be controlled by that Spirit. But He's either there or He's not because He is a person. You don't get part of Him. You get all of Him. How much of you does He have? a great church will be operating in obedience to the Savior and they'll be operating in the Spirit. And we said that the greatest thing they'll have on offer is the offer of salvation. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. His whole purpose, His eternal purpose in eternity past. I know we'll never get our head around that. His eternal purpose for your salvation and you to be made like the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that He did, that's what the Bible's all about. That's what church is all about. That's what the Christian faith is all about. Jesus came to save men from their sins. He came to atone for them, to redeem them. That's what this week is all about on the calendar. Jesus Christ dying on the cross. I know a lot of people will be celebrating Good Friday as the day. Well, I ain't figured out how to get three days from Friday to Sunday. I'm not celebrating a day, I'm celebrating an event. The reason that we worship on Sundays and not on the old Sabbath on Saturday is because it's the Lord's Day. That's the day they found the empty tomb. That's when the Christians started meeting together. Every Sunday should be Resurrection Sunday for us. You see, a great church must have great purpose. They must obey the Savior, operate in the Spirit, and offer salvation above all else. Secondly, a great church must have great preaching. I didn't say great preachers. It doesn't matter. (laughs) The messenger makes no difference. It's the message. If a church is built upon somebody that's a great preacher, that has great oratory ability, if it's based on a man in any way, shape, or form, it is not a great church. The church doesn't need great preachers. The church needs great preaching. Whoever is in that pulpit, God's hand upon him, God using him to bring the message that's needed, preaching God's Word, preaching that first of all and above all, as we sang earlier, exalts the Savior. It doesn't lift up man. It doesn't lift up the program. Above all else, it exalts Jesus Christ. He's the one that's lifted up. He's the one that's made to be more, he exalts the Savior, and edifies the saints. We're built up. He gave us each other, folks. We're not a bunch of nomads. Great preaching. Sometimes, just like with that parent. Sometimes, it's scolding. Sometimes, it's the rebuking. Sometimes, it's the exhorting. But we need it all. That's the only way we can grow. That's the only way we can mature. Paul warned Timothy. They'd come that day when they just want their ears tickled. They want to be made to feel good. They want to come to church to feel good about themselves. Folks, we don't have anything to feel good about ourselves. We've got a lot to feel good about the Savior. May we have preaching always, whether I'm a dead or alive, whether I'm in Timbuktu or Birmingham United Kingdom. May there always be great preaching where God's word, where Jesus Christ is being exalted, where the saints are being edified and sin must be exposed. Nobody can see their need for a savior. Nobody can know that they need forgiveness unless by God's word and by God's power we expose sin for what it is. And if you're here and you're lost today, you need sin exposed in your life. You need to see it. You see, we all, we all have to come to that same place. We are all unique individuals. But one thing we are all uniquely like in is that we are all sinners. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Great preaching will expose sin for what it is. So that if you're here and you're lost, you can grasp and understand the horribleness of sin. What sin is going to cost you, what sin will do to you, it will destroy you. It separates you from the God that loved you and created you and made you who you are. That sin will separate you forever. For all of eternity. But by His grace. (laughs) Because they found an empty tomb. You see... Jesus had to die on the cross. And it wasn't just, I heard somebody say one time, you know, he worked in a carpenter shop when he was a boy. Now, I don't know anybody that's ever worked around saws and hammers and all that thing without somewhere along the line shedding a little bit of blood or riding bicycles or (coughs) inside joke. (laughs) The thing is, Jesus did shed his blood, but it wasn't just an accidental cut. Jesus sacrificially gave His blood to atone for your sin. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. It's the only sacrifice, and He's the only one. There is no other. And when, I think it was Paul that wrote the book of Hebrews, if you feel different, that's fine. You know, the Bible tells us there that that was a once-for-all event. You look at all of history From the first to the last, all that we know of it. One event in all of history separates time. One event in all of history when God Himself in the flesh as His Son came to give Himself on that cross, to die on that cross, to redeem us from our sins. One time. You know, I can't explain it, but I believe it with all my heart. (laughs) The moment that I humbled myself and put my faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, i die over 2,000 years ago with Him on that cross. But you know what? He had to die. He had to atone for your sins. He did that. But when they found that empty tomb on the third day... <laughs> That's what the Bible's talking about when he says that he is a propitiation for our sins and I know that's a nice word and my people right here know I just say it over and over and over again because I love it and it's been taken out of most of the new Bibles but most of them got something that means a lot less. He is a propitiation. He met every requirement that God had. He's the propitiation for our sins, he said to the Christians, but not for our sins only, for the sins of the whole world. One time in all of history, the one person that was sinless enough to be able to atone for it. God could not be a holy God and a just God if He allowed sin to go unpunished. If He allowed one sin to get by, to get into heaven, there would no longer be a heaven. When sin entered in, death entered in, just like in the Garden of Eden. No. It's got to be taken away completely. Sin separates us from God. He's life. Without life, there's death. Death. That's why, you know, some, sometimes people think, you know, heaven's some great reward and hell is some great punishment. No, folks. The wages of sin is what? Not hell, it's death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Life and death. It's just that everything that's alive, praise God, it's only alive because of Him when it's in the presence of Him, the sin's been taken out of the way so that we're not separated from Him, and therefore we have life, and we will have life for all of eternity because there'll be no sin to take it away. He gave us that choice, that option in the garden. We took it, and He knew we'd take it. He knew we'd sin. But the Bible says Jesus was prepared before the foundation of the world. God had His plan in place. All that's not alive. All that still has that sin will be in that place called hell because everything has to exist somewhere. There's only two places in eternity. One with God, one without God. Everything that's perfect and holy and right and everything that's even beyond your dirtiest imagination, the evil, the vile of this world in the other place. You see, God teaches us. God teaches us. But I want to share something else with you here. Notice that it was with great power. With great power. The source of that power. That source of that power, we said, is the Holy Spirit. God Himself. We looked at those passages. There's only only one place that that power can come from. It would be an impossible task. The source is God. But the sustaining of that power is up to you. Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. You see, the church of God must be a converted membership, people that are really saved. But it must also be a clean membership, people that are taking a bath, that are washing away the dirt that are continually being cleaned to be used by God, a consistent walk, faithfulness as we call it, a continual asking on our face before God, knowing, I know the world sometimes thinks it's all just a crutch to us, but knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is His power, that it is Him alone, that it is Him that's keeping us, that it's all Him. Don't be ashamed to ask for it on our faces before Him we saw and I said it (laughs) to some it may have seemed a little bit unusual that when we had a baptismal service last Sunday morning that we were talking about great persecution a great church will face great persecution now I had somebody ask me and it's a very valid question have you ever faced great persecution we think we're being persecuted a lot of times our persecution is on a whole different level we worry because somebody smirks at us. When we do our open airs, when we go out here on knocking on the doors and we're trying to, to be a witness to people, we're trying to build those bridges, I promise you folks, it's because He's the one that commanded us to go into the world. He's the one that commanded us to go out into the highways and the byways and the hedges and compel them to come in. They will not all just walk through those doors because... They've heard how great you are in here. (laughs) They had a bold witness. They had a bold witness. And anytime you're a bold witness, there are going to be people that don't like it. But as we sit here in our relative comfortable seats, as long as I don't preach too long, in our warmth with each other, right now, Right now, there are those. We have folks right here today that have family and friends in Cameroon that are being persecuted. You can say it's a lot of things, but in the end, it comes down to their faith, <laughs> their Christian faith above all else. Many of us around this world, to boldly witness for the Lord Jesus Christ means your life is on the line. We worry. Because somebody, yes, you see, you can't. You can't expose sin as we've already seen. You can't be a bold witness without people getting upsetting. Their great faith. That was what brought them great persecution. Because, man, they they really believe this stuff. And they live this stuff great faith and great fervor. They weren't ashamed of their faith. They got out there they were bold witnesses for the Lord. We want to sit back in the comfort of our church seats. We want to sit back in the comfort of our homes because we don't want to face them. And we live in countries where we've got all the freedom. We've got the resources at our fingertips. We'll never be a great church if we just wait for all of them to come to us. You see, We're not going to be a great church because of what I'm saying from this pulpit and what all is happening in here alone. We've got to get outside of these four walls. We've got to to live in that power that He has given us, operate in that power that He's given us, but in so doing, we've got to be willing to face whatever comes at us. Nothing is more important, and we looked at some of those things I not want to give you this this morning. You see, a church is not made up of brick and mortar. It's not made up of all the banners and the seats and the carpet and everything that we usually take for granted. Acts 4.32, what was it? And the multitude of them that believed. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Whose heart? God's heart. Whose soul? His. You see, we're talking about the whole congregation. Not one saying, oh, I want it this way, and oh, I want it that way, and this is what we want to do, and that's what... No. It's getting our desires out of the way. Getting us out of the way. You see, a great church... It's going to need great people. It's going to need great people. Yes, great purpose, great preaching, great power, great persecution, but great people. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said these words. He says, a new commandment I give unto you. A new commandment. We've got all those others God's given us. Jesus said, I'm going to give, give you a new commandment. He says, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. Listen, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Folks, we talk about the love of Christ. We talk about the love that we have. Jesus says, if you've got that love for me, people are going to know that you're mine because of the way you love one another. Do you know, Jesus Christ loves the vilest, dirtiest, most vulgar, the most low-down sinner that's ever lived on the face of this earth that you've ever met, Jesus loves them more than you love anybody. He does. And he says, if you love me, you've got to love one another the way that I love them. Love others the way that I love. All the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, and of one soul. Man, the unity of heart, the unity of soul, such a powerful testimony that is, folks, I'm sorry, it's missing. It's missing from most churches today. There's not that kind of unity. said by one writer that the height of our love for God will never exceed the depth of our love for one another. Pretty astounding when you think about it. Because his love, he speaks more about our showing our love to him. The greatest way is by loving others like he loves. I believe it's one of the most missing ingredients in churches today. And it's funny because, you know, people today, they, they like hearing messages about love, they like hearing that a whole lot more than about sin. <laughs> I like preaching about love. I like talking about love. But how about living like we love? You see, I think one of the missing ingredients is that too many people are going to church just to do their duties instead of being there because they love Him and love one another as they ought to. The words come easy, but the actions to back them up so many times are so difficult. See, a love one for another. That's what Jesus said. A love one for another. And you know what happens when you get a love one for another? You'll have a longing one for the other. A love for one another another, and a longing one for another. You really want to be sitting next to that person. You really want to see that person. You really want to give them a hug and say, Wow, I've missed you since the last time we met a longing. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine of fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. In verse 46 of that same chapter, he says, and they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Now, this church wasn't a great church because of its great numbers. But we know We know that over 5,000 of them came to believe at one whack. (laughs) We know the church was more than 5,000. We know those great numbers. And yet, even though they were in those great numbers, they still had this individual longing to be with one another, to be in one another's home, to be fellowshipping with one another. I know it will shock a lot of people, but God didn't make a bunch of nomads. He didn't make a bunch of hermits and recluses and whatever else you want to call them to get out there and be the lone ranger and take the world on all by themselves with or without Tonto's help. He built a church. People together. And a great church is a people that has the love of God upon them in such a way that they love one another so much. I want you to notice what it says here. He says, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. You know, too many times, and I'm going to finish with this this morning, too many times we're so concerned about whether the church is meeting my needs. Whether I'm really enjoying being in church. We're so concerned about whether somebody else is meeting my need. Folks, there's only one person to look to to have your needs met. He has promised, He promised that He will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. When you come to church worrying about your needs being met, you'll never be part of a great church in that way. This wasn't, I'm sorry if, 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 if some of you differ with me, I'm not going to get into a political debate here, but that wasn't socialism. That wasn't communism. It wasn't somebody else taking what you've worked for and what you've done and giving it to somebody else. It was you taking what you worked hard for, what you saved, and you giving it to somebody else because you're so in love with them. You care so much for their needs when you begin to care for those sinners out there like Jesus cares for them, when you begin to love them like He loves them, then you will get up off of that church seat. You will get up off of that pew or chair or whatever it is that you're sitting on and you'll be sharing that love with others because they mean them. You want to see them saved. You want to give them the greatest gift in all the world. You know what? When you love Him like you ought to love Him, when somebody don't, treat you like they're supposed to? When somebody else maybe doesn't smile at you as pretty as they should? When somebody else, you say a sweet word to them and they just bite your head off in return? Whatever they do, it won't make you love them less and go home grumbling and complaining and how that person... Well, the only reason that they've upset you is because in your flesh, like everybody else, you're just being so selfish and so self-centered that they didn't make your day. Well, it's not about making your day. It's about you making somebody else's day. You know what Jesus did when He looked at them? The Bible says He looked on the multitudes and He saw them like sheep without a shepherd. They were vulnerable. They weren't being fed. They weren't being protected. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Of course, him talking about the Jewish people. But to us, our field is out here. The Bible says he had compassion upon them. He hurt with them. Folks, do we want to make our church a great church? Then quit worrying about competing with anybody else. Christians, I'm talking to you now if you want to make our church a great church, don't worry about what it means to anybody else except Him. It's going to take great purpose. We're going to be operating for His purpose and not our own. It's going to take great preaching, whether it happens to sit easy with you today or doesn't sit easy with you today. It's God's Word that's exalting the Savior, edifying the saints, and exposing sin. It's going to take Great power, a power that is totally, completely beyond your own. We can't do it. We can build all kinds of great establishments and everything, but we will never, ever build a great church. It'll take such great faith that we'll be greatly persecuted. Maybe not to the level of others, but you're not going to be the most popular guy in town, the most popular person at work or school or anywhere else. What is it the Bible says? They that live godly will what? Suffer persecution. We don't know what real persecution is, but you'll be noticed. And a great church will have great people. People that have got their eyes off themselves, that love so much. They love the Savior so much. They love each other so much. But they want to. You're here this morning. You can't be part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, it's the church that's going to be taken out of here one day. The trumpet is going to sound. Jesus is coming back for his own. And if you're not part of the church, then you're not going to go with that trumpet sound. And you don't really want to be behind for what's going to be left here upon this earth at that time. Today. You can be part of the church, but it was them that believed. Everything that God has done, His whole purpose, from the human race's inception to its end, is for your salvation, for you to spend eternity with Him. I would tell you, and I mean it with all my heart, you know, one of the frustrating things to me in preaching God's Word is I. I ask myself sometimes, God, is there, is there something I can say? Is there something that I can do that will make that lost person get saved? But I can't. Today, I can only share with you that Jesus Christ is the only way. He did die on that cross for you. For your sins, the price was sufficient. But will you, will you accept it today? I encourage you today. If you don't know that Why? Give me one sane reason. Why? That you would want to turn and walk through those doors knowing that your next breath, that your next heartbeat could be your last. And yet, you simply don't care enough to do anything about it. When he's offering you life, man, when that heart stops beating. You know, I'm not trying to call out the undertakers to come and get me any sooner than they have to. But I, we, we sang about it earlier, I have no fear in death, none whatsoever. Because I know, I know that when this old body faces death, I know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Do you know that today? You can, but I can't, I can't give that to you. I can only give you the truth. I can tell you that you yourself, You can either humble yourself. You can admit your sinfulness. You can ask God for the forgiveness because you really genuinely seek Him from your heart and know that Jesus is your only hope. You can leave here a saved person. Or you can reject it. We said in the beginning, love is a two-way street. There is no question, no question about God's love for you today. But what about your love for Him? What about your love for Him? Christians? You can go to church just to go to church. You can be a part of just an organization that gets on and maybe does all kinds of things. But I'm asking you today, will you do your part to make it a great church, a great church in his eyes? You know, I worried immensely in my young days as a preacher. I worried immensely about what I was going to preach and how I was going to preach it, whether I was going to preach it like this person or that person. I love you this morning. I really do. And I'm not going to do anything to just make you mad. But, you know, I don't really care whether you like the way I preach or not. I don't really care if you like what I say or not. I care immensely what he thinks of it and whether he cares that I've given you what he's asked me to give to you. I don't, God knew what he was getting. I don't try to give it to you like anybody else gives it to you. I'm just me. And that's all I can be. But I trust and pray today that not me, but the words that you've heard. If you don't know the reality of that in your soul, you can know it today. As Shelley comes to the piano and she begins to play. I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. That if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got two choices. You can come to Him. You can humble yourself. You can pray that prayer from your heart, seeking God's forgiveness, and He'll forgive you and you'll leave here a new person. Or you can forget it. You can walk through those doors. And you can face God one day. You see, you're going to face God one way or the other. The question is, are you going to face Him with all your sins paid for and taken care of, atoned for by Jesus Christ? Because He willingly said, Hey, I will take their debt. I will take their debt and I will pay it in full. He took all your debt of sin. And he paid for it in full. But if you choose rather than to stand before God with your sins atoned for by Jesus Christ, you will stand there in all of your sin, with all of your sin upon your own shoulders, and you will give an account for it. Today, the choice is yours. Today, would you? Would you come and humble yourself? There are people here today. Hey, I can't save you, neither can anybody else. We'd sure love to take God's Word and show you how God can save you. We can't pray for you, but we're more than happy to pray with you. And may I ask you this, as we sing this final hymn, and this hymn is really, can be sung from a sinner's heart or a Christian's heart. We're asking God to cleanse us. He's the only one that can. Christians, where are you with God? Hey, we're all a bunch of imperfect people. And if you want to be a part of about as imperfect a church as you can, then come on and join us here at Bethel. But we want to be a great imperfect church, not just something ordinary. We want God to do things around here that He'll receive the glory for. Maybe you need to recommit your life to the Lord today. Maybe you need just some time on your face before God. Let's all stand. Let's all sing these words together. If you've got business to do with God and you can do it right there, then please do so. But if you need to come today and if you'd like to speak with someone, if you'd like someone to speak with you, if you'd like to pray with someone, then please do so as we sing these words together. Search me, O God, and know my heart today.